the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greening. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. Hello everyone and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. So this week we've got Michael Shanquan on and Michael is the CEO at Lingoda. They're an online language school and he's got a passion for linguistics and speaks an impressive six languages. So Michael speaks English, Chinese, Spanish, German, Japanese and French. That's super impressive. Um, prior to Lingoda, he had an impressive career scaling edtech startups as well as working as a brand manager manager at P&G and investment banking background at Goldman Sachs. So we're extremely interested and excited to hear Michael's diverse background today and how he got into tech and all about his leadership style. So hello, Michael. Hello. Hi. Hi, Michael. What an <laughs> impressive background. Six languages. How? That's my first question. <laughs> I, uh, I started actually very young as a kid. Um, I was uh, I spoke Chinese in, at home and English mm-hmm. my, my native language. Mm-hmm. And my parents had always encouraged me to uh, follow my interests and my passions. So um, I started taking French in school uh, when I was in middle school. And then one thing led to another. Uh, to another and I was then picking up Spanish and then uh, both also in school. And then I was taking languages on the weekends, uh, Japanese. Wow. Um, yeah. and, um, it just sort of rolled from there. It's like, you yeah. kind of know when you, you know what you're passionate about and you just, you do it naturally. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I tried Japanese at university and I had to drop it. It was too hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about practice, isn't it? Yeah. It is. um, practice. Anybody? <laughs> fantastic. So, um, I always like to start, um, these, uh, the recordings off with, um, understanding a little bit more um, about you, your background and um, your journey. So how you, um, obviously you started investment banking, so you've gone from investment banking through to kind of tech startups, scaling up businesses. And um, so it'd be really interesting to see how all that kind of came about. Tell us more and the listeners more about your journey um, and then how you got to where you are today. And, and I guess a bit more emphasis on, on your current business. Sure, absolutely. Well, first, um, thank you, um, Ali and Sandra, for inviting me to the podcast. Um, I'm going to talk to you more about leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, to tell you a little bit more, so one of the first things that people always look at me in Europe and they say, what is a Chinese-American from California <laughs> doing a German company, right? Uh, so... To tell you a little bit about Lingoda, um, yeah. as you were saying, you know, it's Europe's largest online language school. We've got uh, live group classes with live teachers, and we offer 24-7 flexibility. Um, we, um, we're a team of 39 uh, nationalities, a 27 languages. Yeah. And when I think about the diversity that that brings to an experience, to a work experience, or to anybody's experience, to think talking about leadership, that's really, really exciting. 
And it's a really a part of my soul, and I'll explain to you more in detail later as to how this came about. But as you know, I'm a polyglot and I speak six languages. And for me, um, when we think about leadership, it's all about saying, hey, what do you really, what's your life vision and how does that fit into what you do day in and day out? And for me, it's about building cross-cultural bridges uh, via language learning. So uh, just to be able to interact with 39 nationalities every day is totally, totally exciting. Um, to talk to you, to tell you a little bit more, um, Sandra, you asked, you know, where did it all begin? So I'm, yes. I'm from California. Um, my parents are from Taiwan. They came to the United States to study and then they stayed there and I was, I and my brother were born there. Um, I went to uh, Yale for undergraduate, studied economics. Um, and as you alluded to, I started my career um, in investment banking on Wall Street and uh, work harder than I can ever, ever, I ever did work and will work in the future, um, 100 hour weeks. Um, but I learned finance and it was a lot of fun. And I just think I had more energy then than I do now. Um, and uh, then I went back to a school. I went to, to Harvard Business School for my MBA. And I wanted to do something more creative. Um, I wanted to uh, run a business and actually wanted to specifically build my leadership skills. And so I went to Procter & Gamble to do brand management where they train you how to do marketing, but they also train you how to be a more effective leader, which we can talk about later. Um, and um, ultimately what I really learned there was how to lead by consensus. So one of the most difficult things is, is that, okay, if you're given positional power, that's terrific, right? But how do you actually bring people along on a journey when they don't report directly in, into you, especially in a big organization? And that's really what I learned in my five years in brand management. And then I said, okay, I've sold, I've sold glorified soap long enough, $10 for shampoo, right? Like, okay, there are some people who will buy it. Um, that's what I spent my time doing, thinking about how to do that. And I said, mm -hmm. I want to do something that I really care about. And for me, um, education, um, and we can elaborate on that later too. Education mm -hmm. was a very big piece of who I am and how I came to be um, who I am today. Mm -hmm. And so I went into um, education tech and uh, went, joined my first startup in California in the education travel space uh, and did that for six years. And then recently, three years ago, moved to Berlin to run Lingoda. And it's been a great journey. Um, and uh, really look forward to talking to you guys more about that. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, I've got um, a quick question on that note. You've gone from um, investment banking into bond management and um, then to working for um, a startup and then setting up your own startup how did you you've you've um they're all kind of like different you know you've kind of gone from one thing to another which is it's great and obviously you've naturally progressed each time and you've gone up through that kind of like leadership um ladder but I guess for our listeners and viewers you know how did you go from investment banking to bond management and then what where how from bond management did you get into working for a startup it might be quite useful for people to understand how you make that transition particularly when it's so not traditional and not linear yeah it's, uh, it's hard it's hard to be able to get opportunity particularly at the moment in the current climate so I think to be able to go to something completely different mm. super interesting you know life a lot is about um, I believe reinventing yourself and yeah. discovering more of who you are and what really makes you tick as a person and I think um, as I've grown up and matured, I've also learned more about myself and what's really important and what doesn't matter as much. So, you know, when I started in banking, it was like, okay, everybody else was doing it um, in college. It's like, great. 
it like seems to make good money. I get to live in New York and, mm. um, and uh, okay, I'm good at that. You know, okay, right. So obviously you had the education for that, didn't you? Um, so um, that obviously that makes it an easy, not, not an easy transition, but it's, it's kind of almost a natural step. It's almost a, exactly. Um, it's, more a, it's more of a natural step. It, you know, what I, what I realized, uh, you know, in, in banking was, um, so banking is it, it fundamentally, it's, it's, it's more of a consulting job, right? You consult others as to what to do versus actually build something yourself. Um, and I realized that I was much more interested in building something and I was wor- interested in working with people to actually build that thing, that thing that did not exist um, if, if, if we weren't here today, right? So something totally new and different. And so I said, I'm going to go back to business school and I'm going to work in a, I'd like to work in a more of a creative realm and work more closely with people um, in building a business. And so that's when I said, I went back to business school and I said, okay, well, what are some of the great places to be trained and learn how to do that um, to become also a stronger leader? And um, Procter and Gamble is a great place for that. And I still, to this day, many of the things that I do day in and day out, either consciously or unconsciously come from, Right. big company right mm. so, you, so that was like a, a, a career shift and um, did you have to start from the bottom again and work your way up yeah okay yeah yep. that must well, have been a tough decision yes. to make as well when you were I'm sure you were doing well on Wall Street and financially it must have been tough but I guess you've gone back to you went to Harvard Business School so you've taken a break anyway yeah yeah no it's it's one of those things that um, I was evaluating in my mind the importance of staying in a career, uh, the money, but also where I wanted to go in life and what yeah. was really triggering me and exciting me. And I just mm-hmm. realized that, that, you know, at that age, I, I wanted to go in a slightly different direction. Great. Fantastic. Brilliant. So um, let's talk um, more and, and um, understand, I guess, your whole concept. You've, you've done a lot of um, leadership um training and you put a lot of your leadership skills and experiences to use throughout your career and yeah. um, throughout the years it be understand be good for the listeners i think to understand more around your evolution of um of your concept of leadership um, and for them to learn um a thing or two from you as well yeah definitely this is the thing i spent a lot of time about which is why i love your podcast and mm-hmm. i'm still evolving my de- definition if i'm allowed to um, but um, uh, basically, it's, you know, it's been a journey and it's changed over time. Um, when I was young, when I was a teenager in high school, um, it was, I thought that leadership was all about presence, charisma, mm-hmm. positional power. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, um, uh, I call myself the good Chinese son, right? So I was quiet, studious, but determined, got those qualities from my parents and was told one day by the school principal when I was um, up for the editor position of the school newspaper, hey, Mike, we really like you. You're very studious and you're hardworking, but we need leadership qualities. We need presence. We need, um, you know, we need that extra something. And that stuck with me for a very long time to say, okay, that's what leadership is really about. So I have to basically, you know, change the way I am. I have to be charismatic. I have that presence. I need to do this, this, and this. And so I, I took that with me. Um, and uh, through the years, uh, when I went uh, to apply to business school, when I went to apply to Harvard, I'll tell you a little bit about 
what I faced in terms of experiences. So on the application process, essay question number one was, give me three examples of leadership. Essay number two was, tell us now your most important leadership experience that transformed you. In the interview, in the live interview, they said, tell us what makes you a leader. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, well, I really need to be a leader here, but what exactly is it? Let me just see what like, you know, Harvard says it is and let me fit that mold. Uh, and then the first day of class, he <laughs> says, our mission is to educate leaders who make a difference in the world. And I'm like, cool. Well, since I got in, I guess I'm a leader now, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm saying, this, I'm saying this as a joke because I tell you, like, up to that point, I really still didn't really know what leadership was, mm-hmm. but I was, you know, copying, pasting definitions. Yeah. Um, and fast forward 20 years now, talking to both of you and to the audience, I have a much clearer picture. And um, that uh, is actually, I I'd actually kind of take it down to three qualities, having spent a lot of time thinking about this. The first being leading by example. So if you say something, you also do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Two is what I call bringing them to the holy land or the vision. So where exactly are we going and how do we actually get there? And then three, which is where this language learning fits in very uh, specifically into leadership, is this idea of emotional intelligence and awareness of the self, awareness of myself, and awareness of others. And it's through that awareness that you realize a lot of things and how to be more effective in influencing and supporting um, in working and collaborating with other people. And that's really, I think, where the crux of it is. is so leading by example, bringing people to the Holy Land and awareness. And this is not something, a positional power thing where it's like, well, only a CEO can have this, right? Like only a CEO. I think it's true for any single person in any job, whether it's corporate or non-corporate, can be thinking about this and saying, how can I be a more effective leader? Yeah, I think someone was saying to us last week, weren't they, about leadership within your family group, your friendship group. Like there's so many lead, it's so important to be a leader in whichever position you are. I think there's two things you mentioned there that I'd love to kind of delve into a little bit further. One was around the awareness piece. And I'd love to know something that you had to work on to become a more effective leader. So what did were you aware of? something that you had to work on because it's always interesting to find out and then the second one is I'd love to know more you said about that Procter and Gamble there was quite strict um, leadership training and that they development they put you through like one key thing that you took away from P&G that you're still utilizing today yeah those are great those are great questions so one of the things that I'm working on is acknowledging my emotions Mm -hmm. and So I come from a culture that is very thought-based and actually almost hides their emotions, right? So Mm -hmm. I, for example, I, I don't, I don't, touch my parents. I don't hug them when I say hi or bye to them. Um, I, uh, I don't talk about my feelings and I grew up that way. And I actually realized that that is not successful for a good life, but also it's not successful in leadership. And one of the things that I've been working on is recognizing what I call my critter state. That is when I get to a place where 
the adrenaline kicks in, right? And it goes into automatic anger, impatience, um, unhappiness, right? Because I'm triggered. And really kind of seeing that emotion for what it is and seeing for what it is and being okay with it. And then saying, okay, now what do I do with that? Right? First is to recognize it. If I can do that, mm-hmm. that's actually 80% of the battle. And then the, the icing on top of the cake is saying, now what do I do? Right? And I have my best friends of quick walk, you know, meditation, or just, or just kind of sitting there and pausing and watching things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something that I've been working on. I continue to work, work on. And it's something that I actually ask um, people who I work with to say, you know, tell me when I'm in my critter state. I think that's a huge thing in mindfulness, isn't it? Is, is not only being in that state, but accepting it, recognizing it and kind of letting it go past you. And that wave, like you say, you either make the most out of that, that what you get out of that wave or you kind of let it go mm. past you, which is really important. Perfect. What about P&G then? What was your top, top leadership lesson that you learned from that? There's so many and they yeah. have these frameworks and, yeah. you know, that they can okay, the training and on and on and on which we have um, implemented in our company as, a, as an education company. We're very mm-hmm. uh, invest, investing in people focused. I actually dummy it down to, and it, it changes the entire way I've ever approached any assignment that I have. Uh, and that is around uh, consensus leadership. So consensus leadership as it, repla- as it pertains to how do you bring people along on the journey? Mm-hmm. And not necessarily immediately apply positional power or data or traditional ways of influence that get you to a place, right? So how do you actually be able to take people in, take in uh, what they are saying and be able to drive a bigger picture and move people in the same direction? So when you're at a place like Procter & Gamble, they basically put you in there. They say, great, graduate from Harvard Business School, very good. Um, now you're at the bottom of the totem pole, right? As we said, right? Like you have no direct reports, um, but by the way, you have to, you know, launch a new initiative using all of the resources that the company has across seven different, uh, seven different functions. And what that really taught me to do was to say, okay, how do I bring the people around me and above me along? Mm-hmm. And it's not like a, here's the guide, you know, Ali and Sandra, like do one, two, and three. But it's over time, right, of actually trial and error and learning from lots of different experiences. And I realized that ultimately, like, leadership can never be a forced quality, right, where you tell people and dictate people. As we talked earlier about yeah. power, right? Yeah. But uh, sometimes it's required to use in order to move things along. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's about people will do things and they will be energized and they will do 150% when you bring them along. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that's definitely a real common theme on our podcast. It's, it's, it's a key trait. So um, I 100% agree with that. I'd love to know then, um, I guess you're thinking around what advantages having the language skills give you to make you a better leader. So how does learning languages make people a better leader? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, the language learning is very much tied to awareness of self and and awareness of others. And I see this day in and day out uh, in the people that I work with. Um, To paint a very uh, quick example, 
um, you know, cultural context makes all the difference. So back in my last job, I sold this product called Global Leadership Adventures. It's a, they're summer high school programs um, and they're leadership programs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very like Anglo-American, right? Leadership mm-hmm. programs, um, as, I, as I later learned. Because when I went to Germany to try to sell them, I didn't know this, but the word um, leader translated into German is Führer. Right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, the historical context, yeah. be careful yeah. how you translate things. Mm-hmm. And everybody was completely like, you know, what, why? Like, can you change the name of the, of the brand or something? And yeah, yeah. Develop something yeah. else, right? Yeah. I didn't know that, yeah. right? So that's a very simple example of what I'm trying mm-hmm. to illustrate, which is that it, when you when you have a better understanding of a language, you don't have to master the language, but just a better understanding of the dynamics of the language, then you are more effective at managing across cultures. And therefore you are more effective at leading and working with other people. Um, I'll give you another example. Um, So there's this uh, idea of what I call like active listening versus interruption cultures. And it's all about the position of the verb in a language. You and I, the three of us, um, mm-hmm. being native English speakers, right, fall into actually an interruption culture. And so mm-hmm. does uh, the Latin languages, like Spanish and, and Italian. Versus, by contrast, Japanese or German. It's completely different. I mean, you, the stereotype of the Japanese person, right, is that they sit there and they sit there and they, they listen to you. And you don't know what they're thinking. And you're wondering what they're thinking. And they wait for you to say everything. And then you still sit there and you're like, yeah, okay. Like, what's going on here? Like, what's going on? <laughs> watch, you know, you watch two Latin Americans interact, right? And they're like cutting each other off, right? And that's yeah. okay, right? But where is that coming from, really, right? And why is this relevant to leadership? Well, as an example, because um, I speak Spanish, um, you know, the verb in Spanish sits, it's, it's the first it's the first or second, often the first word in a sentence, right? And when I use that verb, um, it pretty much had expl- that word. I pretty much told you, um, if I say, let's say, querías, it's, I'm telling you it's you, I'm telling you it's past tense, and I'm telling you that it's, um, that it's positive, not negation. And then you pretty much know that I'm going to tell you about something that I liked in the past. Yeah. Right? Right? And that's true for, for us, too, um, mm-hmm. as English native speakers. By contrast, like in Japanese, the verb always... Oh, you know this, right? Sandra, you know this, right? This is probably what made it so difficult. Uh, <laughs> verb, the, the verb, How far did you get me your Japanese? Like, no, where, okay, where does, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Where does the verb come in? The when verb come... It... Where, like, where in a sentence is it? Like, in Japanese. Oh, honestly, at, at, the end, at, at the end, from what you said, exactly. yeah, middle or end, I would say. <laughs> middle or the end, almost always at the end. So when you think culturally of how people's wa- brains are wired, right, this influences so many different aspects of why and how uh, these two cultures are different. I bet she's right? really regretting the fact that she told me <laughs> <laughs> I wish you'd have just tested her. Like, just tested her. What am I like? 30, 38 now. It was like, what, 18, 18 <laughs> 19 years ago. You've got to keep up with it. Well, the only thing is, my Japanese is rusty too. I haven't yeah. seen it for 20 years. The only reason why I know well, that. You're not as rusty is, as mine. Is <laughs> I'm like, you know, doing this research and thinking about this.
is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the only reason why I know. Um, I think that's super interesting because I have yeah. no idea. So actually, yeah, like I've learned a few things about leadership already from that. Yeah, 100%. I'd love to know then your background um, is 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 very unique. What one thing do you think that the way you've been brought up or the way you've done through your education, what one thing do you think makes made you a successful leader? Oh, it's so interesting. You know what I think it is? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not call myself a natural born leader. Mm. And I think that the thing that's actually made me really successful, Ellie, is, is two things. I think one is, is perseverance. It's really this idea, we call it in America, grit, right? So this mm. idea of having a long-term goal and working hard and being determined to make it happen. And I think this came from, you asked about the background is, so my parents, you know, were immigrants to the States and they, they had no money when they came mm-hmm. and they managed to raise my brother and I and, and take us through college. And I think they, they taught me about humility. They taught me about focus and they taught me about determination. Um, a lot of that through things like math and the violin, which are very typical like Asian things that we all do. Um, but um, but that that idea of perseverance and and making it happen, which is very much the same thing of how do you learn a language too, right? Is yeah. that um, a language takes hundreds of hours, right, of perseverance to really learn, and it takes time, right? It's like running a marathon or learning tennis. And so I think that that was something for me that I hold dear and true is, is perseverance. And tied to that is actually challenging myself and saying, let me, send, let me set a lofty goal, not an impossible one, mm. but a lofty one, and, and I make it happen, right? Mm. I might fail, but then I find out what I did wrong or how, why I failed um, that time. And mm-hmm. I then reinvented and try it again. Mm-hmm. And what's that? Yeah, thank you. So it's, it's so I think those two things have, have really, really helped me. And so when I think about leadership and we say, okay, you know, you're either like a natural born leader or you're not, or can you, can we train you to be a leader? You know, I would identify myself not naturally in the concept of Western Anglo-Saxon definition of leadership, right. As a leader. And I've learned over time by watching, by trying, by persevering, and by challenging. It was fantastic. You clearly picked up them skills because speaking to you today, you'd think, oh, he's a natural one leader. But like you say, you've worked <laughs> at it, which is great because that gives a lot of people hope, doesn't it? Who, who are listening to the podcast, it's not, it doesn't come natural to them. And it, it, I think it's great to be able to, you work at it, you set yourself goals and you'll get there in the end. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of great leaders out there that have had to really, really work on it to get to where they are. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to work on it for years and I probably still wouldn't say I'm a great leader getting there. Um, but I just think, you know, there's always room for improvement. And that's one thing that I think that I've, I feel like is a common theme throughout um, this, set, this this interview is that you're, that's very admirable, is that you're very authentic, open, transparent, honest, and, um, you know, and you've had to work on things. And I think that's, another for me I think like vulnerability um is another key piece um within leadership um 
as well and I guess you know gaining that respect and and your team to to follow you and, and, and move, you know go on that journey with you so I've I've like Ellie said earlier we've both learned a lot um already mm. from you I'm sure our listeners will have learned lots picked up lots of tips um, so I think it would be really good now to, um, we've obviously discussed um, a lot of points around your leadership style, be really good now to talk more about um, Lingoda, um, how you set up Lingoda, the challenges um, that you've experienced, what you've, you know, what, maybe something that didn't quite go according to plan and, you know, how you learned from that, how you rectified the situation that others can learn from. So we do have quite a lot of people listen um, to the to these podcasts that are in similar situations or are working for another startup and they'd love that opportunity to set their own and scale up their own business so it'd be great to to share more of your experiences within um, Lingoda. Yeah that's uh, that's a great question I'd love to share more you know one of the things about Lingoda and really quickly growing uh, startups is that what is a startup where there's what I call, you know, a few people in a garage, right? Call it three, four, five, ten people. It's very different from when there's 20 to 50. And this is very different from when there's like 50 to 200. And it's like night and day in some ways. And the question is, is there's also, I would say that there are people who, they might actually be able to operate in all three. But the reality is, is that people excel often in different size companies. And if you are talking about a startup that's 100 people, it's so different from 10 people. And the skills that you need are almost night and day in the way that you think about things, right? So, you know, that for me has been, you know, a big lesson because this is the second startup that I've scaled. And each time I learn some very difficult lessons and I say, okay, wow, okay, I need to do that differently next time. One of the things that I think about lessons is hiring the right person at the right time. Because when you have somebody who is operating in a setting where there's five people around the room, it's very, very different than when there's 150 people around the room. And recognizing that and figuring out what do we do with it? Because we are not used to realizing 95% of organizations are huge and they don't change so quickly and so rapidly. So first recognizing just, just, just how quickly things change and making sure that you fit people into the right job at the right time. And I would also say that it's important to, um, to have those difficult conversations early, right? So very often, um, I have deferred what can be a difficult conversation to mm. say, hmm, this person's not in the right place um, or hmm, this person should be here. But rather than having that and opening that dialogue is letting something like that fester, right? And constantly kind of saying, okay, like, do we have the right people in the right place? Um, it, um, because it's always easy to slip something under the rug than actually to say, okay, let me deal with it right now and try to resolve that conflict or difficulty. Yeah, certainly difficult, isn't it, having those conversations? 
And when you scale up as well, it can be tricky. Like the timing piece is so hard to get it right, isn't it? I mean, we were speaking to a CEO last week, Radula, and, and she was having like the same really similar discussion. Because you could have the right people, but it might not be the right time. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and I think that can also be um, quite challenging. So when you when you started your role as CEO um, within Lingoat, how many people were within the business? And let's let's talk a bit more about the actual detail of growing um lingo i think that might be interesting to hear more about sure yeah we were about um so i started three years ago okay and i am i'm the non-founder ceo so there's two founders they're um they're brothers from cologne germany and um i so they've started the business i came in three years ago and we were about 20 something people okay Fantastic. Um, and where are you at now then? How many? We're at about uh, 120 people, full-time wow. people, and uh, <laughs> 1,000 teachers. Wow. Right. Okay. So, wow. so, yeah, so it's, it's, you can imagine the dynamics have changed significantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So cool. Fantastic. Amazing. Um, so what... Um, I think it'd be really good um, to understand a little bit more about your passions. Um, I mean, obviously, we've we could we've we've touched on quite a few. I can assume, um, you know, there's languages. Yeah, languages. <laughs> um, what else are you passionate about? Um, what's you know what would what what are you kind of striving towards? And where you know what do you want to do longer term? Yeah. So recently, I uh, read a book called A Miracle Morning. Mm. And one of the things that it said was, it believes, or the the author believes, that Mm. 5% of humans truly achieve their potential in life. Wow. And I was like, I'm at 95%. (laughs) (laughs) right and 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 potential can be defined however it wants right Mm -hmm. um it's not everyone is everyone thinks of it differently and so i just realized wow um how can i how can i make the most of my time work and personal in the Mm -hmm. time that i have Mm -hmm. um in my life and what are the things that are important to me how do I be more productive with my time? And also, when I think about tying it up to Lingoda, what does that mean for the office, our Lingodis, and the students and the teachers who teach, choose to teach and choose to learn with Lingoda? So for me, this idea of like helping people achieve their human potential through language learning and that beauty of, the, of discovery and, wow, I could really do it. Like, holy cow, like I'm, I'm fluent in French, right? And I had this long-term goal. I challenged myself and I made it happen. Like, why does it have to be 5%? Like, why couldn't it be like 40 or 50%? Mm-hmm. Each of us have that potential. So how in our space of language learning, how do we help people do that? And how do we create a product that enables people to do it and then just makes them really excited and gives them this high that they did do? It's fantastic. fantastic. What's, um, what's the future of tech in your opinion? Yeah, interesting. Um, 
I could talk at length about that. Mm -hmm. um, I thought maybe what I would do is uh, talk more specifically about um, education tech and language. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That'd be interesting. Um, Actually, we brought in a new client this week in ed tech as well, so that would be a, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. This will be a, this will be a pretty good comparison. You know, I think in I think in language learning, a techno actually technology is obviously very is critical and. Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately with COVID-19, um, it actually has um, accelerated a lot this move towards online and towards actually using technology mm -hmm. as a means to learn a language. But at the end of the day, language is about human connection. And my point of view when I think about the future of tech is that human connection and bridge will always serve as the center mm. of any kind of language learning platform. Yeah. And um, technology enhances that human experience. So it's what I call like one plus one equals three, where mm. you know, one is the humans, one is technology. And when we put them together, it creates something much more powerful. And so that is where I really see where technology is, is being able to enhance the world um, in the best possible ways and strengthen that human connection. One very good example of where we are looking to take mm -hmm. uh, all of this is virtual reality, right? So virtual reality with the goggles. Yeah. Um, that will be call it big in three to five years. And I'm not sure exactly when, but in the future mm -hmm. and situational experiences in language learning are much more powerful than me looking at you and teaching you something. Right. So imagine if you were to put on the goggles and you were learning French from a Parisian cafe with the Eiffel Tower in the background and your teacher, the waiter, teaching you how to order a coffee. <laughs> that would be so cool, wouldn't it? Right. <laughs> not only would you learn Bringing it, it to life, because that's yeah. it. And that's, that's part of it, isn't it? A lot of people who are interested in language and they don't have the opportunity to travel or the means to travel, like it's the, a lot of people then end up giving up because they can't put it into yeah. practice. Yeah. No, that's that probably a lot of that. yeah. That's really cool, isn't it? Yeah, really cool. Yeah. If you need some test dummies, we can. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I can, do, I can do the French one. French, I'll do the French one again. You can do the Japanese I'll try one. Japanese again. <laughs> we'll keep the relationship and I'll let you know when it's in, in test. <laughs> yeah, when it's ready. Yeah. yeah, we'd love that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so exciting as well. Um, interesting. And interesting, I thought this was the first time in five months that we were going to do a podcast without mentioning the dreaded C word. Yeah. <laughs> We've everyone for the part like literally since we started the podcast, it was the start the week before well, we coronavirus. About, yeah, about two yeah. three weeks before. So we did two recordings. But I think enough people before. mentioned that it was coming. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, well, <laughs> next time. <laughs> so, you, know, you should have set the rules up front, right? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, my yeah. fault. I didn't. I didn't manage expectations there. So uh, yeah, amazing. It's been brilliant hearing your story. We always love to hear the podcast. At finish the podcast with like, what are you excited about? What's the next twelve months look like? What's going on on at Lingo? what exciting projects have you got going on yeah I, there's uh, so much exciting things going on you know yeah. Lingoda, um i won't use the c word but <laughs> with, with macro um developmental changes in the world right the adoption of uh, online mm -hmm. as you can imagine has accelerated 
Mm. Yeah, cool. Just like we are having this conversation remote, right, versus face-to-face, -face, I, I would still love to get to know you guys, right? But people are yeah, realizing yeah, that a lot can actually be achieved through, mm. the, um, through the online experience. And so that has actually broken down a barrier and made people realize, wow, I really can, it's given access to, you know, a woman in Siberia with a native English speaker teacher in okay. England to be able mm -hmm. to interact and, and learn the language, right? Mm -hmm. So this has actually really accelerated the business and, mm -hmm. you know, we're excited about it because it, it's, um, it's helping to prove kind of what we've been working on for, for many, many years to say, this can be a really exciting learning experience for you. And it now is actually coming through. Um, the other thing when I think about the next 12 months, and I'll, I'll share something personal with you guys, um, going back to the leadership piece is that I'm also um, in this thing of like, all right, like being in that trying new things and trying on um, where else can I build my potential is I've, um, I've actually started to write a memoir Okay, wow. And, um, and it's actually related somewhat to a lot of what we talked about today, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of where, where I came from and mm -hmm. what, how success was traditionally defined um, by parents, by environment, by the corporations mm -hmm. that I work with, and how I've learned more about myself through language, through working with different cultures, through living in different places, and how that's actually evolved in time. And so my second part of life, I won't tell you how old I am, but I'll just let you do the math. <laughs> um, in, my, in my second part of life is, is evolving what, what I, I define as success and what that means, and therefore being able to paint what I would like in life and I would like to bring to the world. So um, that is... Um, saying a lot in, in a condensed version, um, but so you know, cool. yeah, yeah. I can't wait there, to right? hear it. Thank you for the audio version. You listen to you speak. You're very easy to listen to. You've got a great voice. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah. I'll, um, maybe I'll pass it on to you guys. Uh, for but only send it to Assange in Japanese. She's only allowed <laughs> <laughs> But I think there's going to be some interesting stories there, like you say, your background, but also Wall Street. We'd love to know more about mm. that. I bet you've got some um, Actually, I've got another podcast about women in tech, and uh, I interviewed a lady called Emily Harrison, who's one of our clients. Um, for an insurance company over here in the UK and she worked on this she started working in tech on the service desk on Wall Street and it was like if there's one place in the world you don't want to work on a service desk it's there. Yeah, yeah. so um yeah I bet you've got some really interesting stories so yeah it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show I've loved hearing your story Michael so thank you so much um, for taking the time out to spend some little morning with me and Sandra today yeah well Ellie and Sandra, thank you so much for your time. Thank I you. Really and if, um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, and listeners, viewers, if they want to reach out to you, is LinkedIn the best? Form yes, LinkedIn. Um, it's just uh, Michael Shankwan, uh, as spelled. Lingoda, you'll find me. Fantastic. Amazing. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Lovely to have yeah. you on the show. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Bye. Okay. Bye. Cheers, Take Michael. Care.